You are listening to the San Antonio Zen Center Dharma Talks. The San Antonio Zen Center is supported solely by donation, so that everyone can participate in our offerings and programs, regardless of income. If you are able, please consider making a donation to SAZC through the donation button on our site, sanantoniozen.org, or by visiting paypal.me slash sanantoniozen. Thank you for your practice and enjoy the talk. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. It's wonderful to be here this morning. Um, some new faces, and some faces I haven't seen for a while. Enrique asked me if I was going to read this whole book, and I asked him if he had time. Don't be scared. Uh, there's always a little panic that arises in me when Colin asks if I would give a Dharma talk. It hasn't been that many times that I've given one, but there's always panic. What can I talk about? So as I was pondering this, I happened to uh, be sitting with my husband who was listening to an interview on TV of a famous golfer named Bill Mickelson. And at some point during the interview, he said something about uh, some nice thing that he had done for someone. And he said it was because he wanted to generate some good karma. And uh, he said he needed all the help he could get. And I kind of interpreted that to mean, like, if he did something nice for somebody, then his ball would not go in water, or he might get a hole in one, or something like that. And I I started thinking about how... uh, we use these terms, karma, good karma, bad karma, in general, in culture. And I thought, well, you know, that's not really my understanding of karma. And then I thought, well, what do I really understand about karma? I haven't looked into it very deeply. We hear the word quite often, but uh, I hadn't really done any investigation. So I started to read a little bit about karma, thinking that this might be a good thing for a talk. And then um, one of the things that I first came across was uh, someone said that the Dalai Lama has said that understanding karma is more important than understanding emptiness. So when I read that, I said, well, that's got to be the subject of my talk, then this is obviously very important. Um, Big subject. I can't cover too much. Can I have the clock, please? Get some idea of how far I'm running over here. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, um, generally, what is karma? What do we understand karma to be? Um, It's the law of cause and effect. Um, The Buddha describes it this way. He says, when this is, that comes to be. With the arising of this, that arises. When this does not exist, that does not come to be. And with the cessation of this, that ceases. So in other words, there are no accidents. Everything has a cause. And and when something uh, is done, it has an effect. Uh, In other words, something happens in a vacuum. Karma means action, but not all actions are karmic. Buddha says, it is volition bhikkhus that I call karma. For having willed, one acts by body, speech, or mind. 
So volition means our will or our intention or our motivations for causing something to happen. Karmic actions are only those that we think, say, or do intentionally or by our will. Um, unintentional actions are not karmic. So for example, if I see a spider and I say, oh, I hate spiders, and I kill it, that's an intentional action. That's killing with intention. If I happen to step on a spider, I might not even know it's there. Uh, that is not an intentional action, and so it's not karmic. It does not count as a karmic result from that. Karma is impersonal. It's not divine punishment or reward for sins or good deeds from heaven or from some judge of our actions. Uh, it's not fate or destiny. It's not deterministic, and there's room in karma for exercising our free will. I'll talk about that a little bit more. It's not moral justice, but it has moral consequences because our actions bring either pain or benefit to others, to ourselves and others. Uh, people don't deserve punishment for harmful actions. The law of karma simply describes how certain types of actions tend to lead to certain results. There's wiggle room in there, and we'll talk about that again, too. So that's a general outline of what karma is. But where does it come from, and how does it really work? Buddha says, because there are these three causes for the origination of karma. Greed is a cause for the origination of karma. Hatred is a cause for the origination of karma. Delusion is a cause for the origination of karma. And remember, when we're talking about delusion, the number one delusion is that we are separate and autonomous beings, that we do not depend on everything around us, all the conditions around us for our existence. Any karma born of greed, caused by greed, originating from greed, is unwholesome and blameworthy and results in suffering. And then he goes on to say the same thing about hatred and delusion. Any karma born of hatred or delusion, caused by hatred or delusion, is unwholesome and blameworthy and results in suffering. And then he goes on to say, there are bhikkhus, these three other causes for the origination of karma. Non-greed is a cause for the origination of karma. Non-hatred is a cause for the origination. Non-delusion is a cause for the orig origination. Any karma fashioned by non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion is wholesome and blameless and results in happiness. So, karma can come from negative factors, greed, hate, and delusion, or it can come from positive factors, non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. And I, I, I like, I found someone was talking about good and karma, bad karma in terms of positive and negative, which I think is, we have so much baggage associated with good and bad and how it plays into maybe uh, the way we were brought up in various religious uh, traditions. And so maybe positive and negative is a more neutral way of looking at this. 
So that's where karma comes from, and that's how it works. One kind of karma results in suffering, one kind of karma relates in, results in happiness or benefit. In general, when our thoughts, words, and deeds are motivated by greed, hatred, and delusion, the results or consequences will bring suffering to ourselves and others, while those that spring from non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion will bring happiness to ourselves and or others. Um, an example of this is, um, you know, if someone habitually lies, uh, he won't be trusted. People won't believe him when he actually tells the truth. Or um, if we are, if a person is generous to their friends, um, there's not a direct correlation, but uh, perhaps their friends will be generous with them when they need it. So we can see this play out. And it seems pretty straightforward, but um, does it really work that way? I'm sure your mind is coming up with all kinds of possibilities where this doesn't hold true. Um, I've, in some instances, tried to make someone feel better about something. My intention is to reassure them or make them feel better. And my words did not have that effect. They just cause more suffering for someone else. Um, we say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Our good intentions don't always get translated into actions that actually help. Um, also, people who do a lot of good seem to suffer. Kuka, one of our members here, wonderful person, Kuka is, and yet she's been stricken with cancer. So bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. People who, I mean, think of uh, Bernie Madoff or someone like that. Well, he was finally punished. He, he went to jail, but for a long time, he was rewarded for his crimes. So we don't always see a, a linear relationship here between actions and results. So are there uh, exceptions to the way karma works? Are there contradictions in it? How can we understand why this doesn't always play out? Well, I have four things that I wanted to talk about. Um, this is my understanding. As I said, karma is a very deep and broad subject. So please, uh, this is just my interpretation. First of all, there's a time element related to how karma appears. We don't talk about rebirth very much in Zen, and I would like to leave that for someone else to talk about in general. But I just want to uh, bring it up as how it relates to time and, and why there seems to be often a lag between action and consequences. Remember that when the Buddha had his night of awakening, he had several great insights. The first was to see his own past lives, and the second was to see that all beings are continually born and reborn according to their karma. Um, he said, any karma fashioned through greed, born of greed, caused by greed, originated by greed, ripens wherever the individual is reborn. Wherever that karma ripens, 
It is there that one experiences its result, either in this very life or in the next rebirth or on sub some subsequent occasion. Wherever karma ripens, one experiences its result there, either in this very life, in the next rebirth, or in, on sub, subsequent occasion. So whether you think of rebirth as being the many lives that we lead in this one life, or whether you um, see it as a transfer of consciousness, as apparently the Buddha did, it, what I, the point I want to make is that there could be a long, long, long lag between action and consequences. We may not see it in this lifetime. We may not see it in the lifetimes of others. It could happen a hundred thousand million kalpas in the future. Um, so it's, it's the same with greed, hatred, and delusion. All those will be visited on the one who experiences it future life or this life. Um, karmic actions are often spoken of as seeds. Every thought, word, and deed plants a seed in our mind or in the world that will eventually ripen and bear fruit under the right circumstances at some point. So our thoughts, words, and deeds are like these seeds that can ripen soon, later in this lifetime, or in subsequent lives when the conditions are right. That's a long, long time. The second uh, factor that I discovered is that there's old and new karma. The results of past actions appearing in the present moment are old karma. It's everything that's come up to now. Actions done in the present, along with the results of those actions, are new karma. So whenever we're contemplating an action, whenever we think something, say something, do something, all that's shaped by what's happened in the past. And what we do with that right now is going to have an effect in the future. Something's going to happen. We just don't know what it's going to be for sure. Um, so, you know, we, we, we have to deal with our old karma, but new karma is more important because this present moment is where our intentions are formed and where we decide what to do, how we're going to act. And the Buddha tells us that we can actually cut off the root of negative karma that's arising now by acting out of non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion. So that's the second thing. Um, the third factor is that how karma manifests depends on the strength and nature of karma and the context of our lives. So there are different kinds of karma. Um, different actions are weighted differently. Um, if, if someone murders their parents, that's a terrible, terrible if that person is mentally ill, well, now there are mitigating circumstances. Are they really responsible for their actions? Because if we're choosing an action, a, a word, a deed, 
We have responsibility for that action. If our minds are such that we're not truly responsible, then the karma will be weighted differently. Uh, Buddha says, gives an example here. He says, here bhikkhus, some person has created trifling bad karma, yet it leads him to hell. While some other person here has created exactly the same trifling karma, yet it is to be experienced in this very life without even a slight residue being seen. What kind of person creates exactly the same trifling bad karma that leads him to hell? Here, some person in, is undeveloped in body, in virtuous behavior, in mind, and wisdom. He is limited and has a mean character, and he dwells in suffering. When such a person creates trifling bad karma, it leads him to hell. And then Buddha goes on to say that when one is developed in body, in virtuous behavior, in mind and wisdom, and he creates exactly the same trifling karma, it will be experienced in this life without even a slight residue being seen. So, um, you know, if someone is virtuous in conduct, and they do something wrong, they kill that spider intentionally, weighed against their other actions in their lives, they may not see such a, a bad consequence from it. Um, so we can say that karmic action, the results of an action, depends in part on the nature and severity of the act and how we are living what's in our minds when a karmic seed matures. The last point I want to make is about dependent origination or codependent arising. Um, the Buddha taught that what we think of as self is a temporary manifestation of the five aggregates, form, sensation, perception, mental formation, and consciousness. These are what make us up. We, we have a feeling that it's from our ego or our personality. That's where our sense of self comes from. But in, in the Buddha, the, 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 the uh, Buddhist metaphysics, I guess we could say, it's these five aggregates that make us up. These are phenomena that arise and come together in a certain way because of other phenomena arising and coming together. Everything is arising together. Um, everything is related to each other by conditions that uh, are here. No permanent autonomous self can be found. So if all phenomena are arising together, is there really such a thing as your karma and my karma? There's just there's karma arising together. Um, but that's on, a, on an absolute plane. You, you can't really say that it's yours and mine. But on a relative plane, you're dealing with what's happened to you in the past, and you have your conditions, your mental conditions present, and I have mine. So they are different, but they're not really separate. Um, I was thinking maybe when we chant, you know, all my ancient tangled karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, maybe we should say all our ancient tangled karma because our, our karma is also tangled up together. We can't separate it. 
So after I read about these factors, the time element, old and new karma, the strength and context of karma, and dependent origination, I thought, wow. Karma is so vast and so subtle, uh, it's really unknowable. It's inconceivable. And then I found a quote that um, the Buddha said that there are four inconceivable matters that one shouldn't try to conceive. (laughs) One is the domain of the Buddhas. One is the domain of one in jhana, in the, the states of absorption. One is uh, speculation about the origin of the world. And the fourth is the result of karma. He says, one who tries to conceive the results of karma would reap either madness or frustration. Um, And I, I was also thinking that even though he says the results of karma, um, I think it also applies to the sources of karma. Just as we can't tell for certain what effect our action is going to have, there's no way of knowing either why things are turning out the way they are right now. Because so much is dependent upon everything arising together in the past. Um, I don't know my karma. I don't remember how I formed all my ideas, my attitudes. When I think about that, I always think about strawberry ice cream. Back in when I was a kid, there was this block of ice cream called Neapolitan, and it had a part part of it was chocolate, part of it was vanilla, and part of it was strawberry. And I'm sorry, this is so trifling, but this is what always makes me think of it. And I hated the strawberry part. I liked the chocolate the best, the vanilla was okay, but if I could, I would leave the strawberry. Do it to somebody else or whatever. Why? I don't know. Maybe it's the taste receptors in my tongue that react to it that way. Maybe I heard someone else that I thought was really cool say, oh, I hate strawberry ice cream. I have no clue. And if I can't figure out my karma, why do I think I can't figure out your karma? You know, why your past actions have brought you to where you are? Why I should think that, oh, you know, He's being punished because he uh, broke up with that girl. Or, uh, you know, she won the lottery because uh, she's a good person. I have no clue. So, this is a catch-22 then for us. Um, We don't know where karma comes from. We don't know how it's going to turn out. We have these factors that make it really complicated. So what do we do? We're here because we want to bring less suffering to ourselves and others, so how do we do that? Well, if we can't figure out sources and results, we just have to think about what we do know about karma, about generally how karma works. And the first thing is to remember that it tends to follow certain patterns, that wholesome intentions and skillful actions lead to happy results, and unskillful intentions and actions lead to painful results and that we have uh, the power to choose. We can exercise our volition. I, I was researching, you know, we, we talk about intention being uh, what guides karma, our actions. And Buddha uses the word, or that the translations use the word volition instead of intention. 
And so I looked up the word volition, and it turns out that it actually means a power to choose. That's one interpretation of it anyway. So, but we have to remember that this is just a general pattern. Uh, there's nothing that says that it's going to happen the way we think it will. Still, if we can come to the Zen Center or be at home, sit Zazen, make an effort to cultivate a mind that recognizes the difference between skillful and unskillful actions, uh, then we have a chance of living a happier life and bringing more happiness to others. We can learn how to cut off the old karma. And I think that Discourses actually talk about cutting it off as a palm root or something like that, cutting off the old karma, the, the negative karma. And we do that by generating good positive karma through more skillful thoughts and actions. And then we have to have patience when we make this effort and it doesn't turn out the way we want it to or we can't see the result. We just have to um, have some patience that these karmic seeds that we're planting will eventually bear some good fruit. We also have to keep in mind that all of us are human beings and we're dealing with good and bad karma seeds. Um, we can focus on the good potentials in ourselves and others. Water the good karma seeds, don't water the bad ones, and plant good new ones. And think about how good things can come out of even our negative karma. Many of us are here because we have things in our past that are very difficult to deal with. Painful, suffering, uh, suffering for ourselves and other people. But we walk into the door of Zen Center and now we're sitting here talking about these things and we're finding ways to deal with them. Um, then there are so many ways in, in our practice, uh, like avowal and repentance, where we recognize our mistakes of the past, we repent them, and we resolve not to repeat them. There's a lot written on um, how to examine your intentions and your motivations, and I thought John Grimes had a really good way of doing that. He said, if you're, if you're questioning your motivation, what you should do, what action you should take, Ask yourself, what's in it for me? You ask yourself, you know, I'm trying to decide this matter. What's in it for me? It can help to reveal your motivation. Is it to do something for yourself or to actually help other people? And we take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. We look deeply into the teachings that were given, the Four Noble Truths, the precepts, the Brahma Viharas. We listen to our teachers, we listen to each other, and uh, hopefully we find ways to make our karma a little better. Um, I think that's probably enough. Questions?